Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Well, it's summertime. So sometimes here at Follow, that means we go through some Psalms over January. We did a couple of years back, and we're going to do it again for the next few weeks. And this morning, Greg is going to be sharing with us from Psalm 37. So I'm going to read Psalm 37 now from the NIV. So if you want to follow along on the screen behind me or find it in the Bible in one year app, splattered around, but you'll find it there, or in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible on you, you'd like to read along. We've got some baskets in the aisles. They've got Bibles in them. Pick that up and read through. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that Bible, have a read of it today, take it home with you. That's our gift to you. So let's read together Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Through, though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing." Turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. 
The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked, or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord, and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright, a future awaits those who seek peace. Am I miss a bit? Nope, still gone. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Please welcome Greg. Wonderful. Good morning. Great to see you all. So first of all, um, rather than going straight to the psalm, there's a wonderful uh, scripture that I was reminded of this morning. Colossians 3.16. If you know John 3.16, remember Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other with all wisdom through what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And that's what we've been doing this morning, haven't we? Through communion, through the testimony of what God is doing in the Dunkley family, in songs that we've been singing, we've been teaching and learning together about Christ, about his message of grace, of reconciliation, of the victorious life that we have in the Holy Spirit. Think a moment about the content of the four songs we have just sung. Maybe you just oh, it's just another song, and you know, get through. Your grace is enough. That was our first song. It speaks of deep trust and reliance on God on the basis of his grace. Here for you was our second song. It speaks of our response and availability as we wait and anticipate what God is doing. And then broken vessels and no longer slaves speaks of that transforming power of the gospel message that we testify to in this place. Words like, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Or, you take our failure, you take our weakness, you set your treasure in jars of clay, so take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel the world to see your life in me. Amazing words. I saw this amazing quote. It's it's just stuck with me, stuck with me. It's from Bono. He's a very old man now, of course. But uh, those who know uh, the music of U2 would know Bono. Bono says this, religion is what you're left with when the Holy Spirit has left the house. Religion is what you're left with when the Holy Spirit has left the house. We want the Holy Spirit to be in this house. Now, I'm pretty sure that we all want the message of Christ to be alive and well, for us to personally know that richness of life with purpose, and for all who are part of follow to really know God's presence with us. 
as that verse says, a great and effective way we can gain wisdom is through the reading of the book of Psalms. Reading it, meditating on it, and singing. And that's why we're focused for this next month on four poems from the book of Psalms. It's sometimes called the Psalter. If you're as old as me, there was a little character called Salty. Salty. Yay! Some people remember. That's where it came from. Uh, the Psalter, the book of Psalms. Simply the Hebrew word for psalm means a song of praise, if you didn't know that, song of praise. And the Greek from which we actually get the word psalm, that kind of funny spelling, isn't it? P-S, that's, that's a Greek kind of thing, uh, like in psychology. Um, psalm means a song accompanied by a thing that you pluck. Basically, it's a guitar, you know, it's a, it's a harp or whatever. It's an instrumental song. That's what we've been doing this morning. But unlike the usual song books, the Psalter is so much more. The Renovare Spiritual Formation Bible, it's a great Bible, um, it's the same Bible, but it's got all this commentary around it, says it so well. It ex- It says that psalms express the drama of life, our precarious human condition, and God's gracious favour of a life-giving relationship with him. Remember, not religion, relationship. The psalms are primarily instruments for forming the inner life of the faithful. But much of their effectiveness derives from the fact that they are also tell us how that formation works. Through the Psalms, they teach, but most of the power for forming our inner life and character lies in the beauty and capacity of the Psalms' ability to penetrate our emotions, our body, our social relationships, indeed our whole life. And that is why the Psalter is basically the church's prayer book. Have you ever heard of that? The Psalter, the Psalms are the church's prayer book. Or better, perhaps it is a soul book. It really gets to the soul. Lord, I pray this morning that as we delve into one of these Psalms that you would heighten for us, Lord, that these are precious treasures given to us the Psalms, and that, Lord, we might take these Psalms and they might really shape and mould us. Amen. Well, today's Psalm is the 37th, and I've entitled the message, Marks of the Meek. Marks of the Meek. This particular song is attributed to King David and was written by him when he was an old man, so I thought it might suit me well. Okay, he says, verse 25, I was young, but now I'm old. And I've seen some stuff, he says. I've seen how life works, what people are like, 
what God's like and how he works. I know something about the so-called prosperity, and I also know something about amazing providence. The psalm's a little different than most, because you might have noticed, as it was being read out by Lockie, that it doesn't address God. Nearly every other psalm says, Oh God, oh Lord, but this doesn't. Instead, as David recollects and ponders his observations of his very full life, he writes this poem of advice. That's what it is. It's a wisdom-type psalm. And as he contemplates some of those troubling questions that we come across in life as a believer, the Holy Spirit inspires him. Inspires him. Isn't it amazing? The Holy Spirit wrote these words through David. These insightful instructions, these key commands. If we're wanting to live a God-centered, a God-pleasing, a God-directed life, he gives us eight marks of being meek. Now, if you know anything about teaching, and if you know anything about memory, you'll know that most of us can't remember more than three things at a time. So to give us eight things is pretty, pretty big, but I'll do my best. It's not as many points as Ray brought uh, one, year, one day. Like, he was up to number 16, and he was saying, I'm nearly finished. <laughs> so hopefully we'll get it through. In the original language that he actually wrote in, he actually set this as a, an acrostic poem. That is, these groups of phrases were arranged in alphabetical order in the Hebrew. We miss it, of course. We don't get that. But it was another way in which others might remember these key points. And so we start this new year, this new decade, as Luke was saying, and we join David to grapple with, I believe, three questions that are inherent in the psalm. Number one, what is your source of confidence in life? Number two, what does a God-confident person look like? And number three, how do you develop confidence in God? Here they are again. There are two or three people who take notes. What is your source of confidence in life? What does a God-confident person look like? And, what, and how do you develop confidence in God? So what is your source of confidence in life? What does the good life look like? What does it mean to flourish? What is the source of your confidence? Is it an owning and using one of Apple's smart devices? Well, maybe it's knowing Amazon has more than 200 million products you can choose from. That would give confidence for life, I'm sure. Or it's the fun and freedom that we all know that comes from drinking Coca-Cola. Maybe for you it's Canberra, or the financial review that provides you with confidence to live a fulfilled life. That was painful. If you're not sure, perhaps you just need to search the over 372 million sites on Google dedicated to self-confidence. 
372 million. Like most of the Bible, though, you'll be pleased to know, the psalm keeps it very straightforward. Like that first psalm that Lockie read, the blessed man and the cursed man, the book of Proverbs with its comparison between the foolish and the wise. So this psalm contrasts the wicked and the righteous on the basis of what ultimately drives people, where and in whom they put their confidence. On one side, we have the self-confident, who desire to define life on their own terms. They plot their own course. And on the other side, we have those who choose a different path, where the centre of their confidence is outside of themselves. You, like me, maybe not, but I thought wicked is a pretty strong term, isn't it? We don't kind of use that word. Maybe of Pol Pot, maybe of Hitler, maybe of others, but wicked? That's not a word we tend to use too often. What about all the nice people that we encounter every day? Are they wicked? But David sees what God sees, the heart, the heart. He sees what Jeremiah later wrote about, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So left to our own devices, our own natural inclination is toward confidence in something other than God, because ultimately we want to be gods ourselves. The world says that those who are truly confident will assert themselves and stand up for their own rights. The righteous are those who have surrendered their rights in order to be made right with God. That's the choice. God-blessed or God-less. The psalm, this psalm upends our natural impulses of how to live an abundant life. It says that true fulfillment in life doesn't come as we expect. So what does a God-confident person look like? Verse 11. Sorry, this is a different version than you heard before. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The meek. Eleven spells it out. The God-confident person is meek. This is a song for the meek. It describes and clarifies for us what Christ said in shorthand in that beatitude. You remember? Christ referred back to the psalm and he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meek is not one that we tend to use very often. There's a misconception that a meek person is a weak person, weak-minded, weak-willed, not very high on intelligent quotient or emotional quotient. We tend to associate them with 
words like timid, soft-spoken, wimpy. Perhaps you've heard of the dependent order of really meek and timid souls. It spells doormats. And their official motto is, maybe the meek shall inherit something if that's all right with you. That's our concept of meek. Well, perhaps we need to change it because the Bible, the word meek is so strong. The word we translate as meek is the same word that the ancient Greeks used for describing war horses. War horses. Which loosely translated means power under control. Think of a war horse. Actually, I watched that. Incredibly sad and moving. There is a film called War Horse. Power under control. It speaks of incredible strength of character combined with restraint and discipline. And that is why in this psalm, David equates the wicked with wrongdoing, transgression, ruthlessness, and ultimately, violence. They are, just like the Apostle James reminds us in his little letter in the New Testament, they are the people who are lured and enticed by their own desires, and that desire gives birth to sin, and sin grows up and becomes a killer. The wicked here are epitomized by power let loose. Power let loose. But the meek refuse to force their way into worldly control and one day will inherit rule. Their temperament is marked by the combination of those two wonderful fruits of the Holy Spirit, the last two in that list that we're familiar with, gentleness and self-control. Pull those together and you've got meekness. Gentleness and self-control. It is power under control. The great Canadian preacher A.W. Tozer, who's ever heard of A.W. Tozer? About half a dozen of you. He wrote, the meek man has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he's weak and helpless as God declares him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God more important than angels. He's in himself nothing, but in God he is everything. That's his motto. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. A God-confident person has realized his or her position, spiritual position, and while they are not and cannot be self-sufficient, God is all-sufficient. The Bible is absolutely full of this. We know this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 reminds us, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence and confidence comes from God. 2 Peter 1 declares, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life 
and to godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and excellence. Wow. These are amazing passages. No wonder the two men portrayed, there are two men in the Bible that are called meek. Any guesses? Come on, put up your hand. You're sure to get one of these right. Jesus. Who was the other? Anyone? Moses, that's right. Moses and Jesus are the two men recorded in the scripture as being called meek. Each epitomized power under control. Neither was timid or afraid of conflict. Both were passionate and both walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, religion is what you're left with when the Holy Spirit has left the place. But they had the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ himself that we see this in counterintuitive truth so well embodied. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And then Matthew 21, it says, behold, your king is coming to you, meek, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And in that wonderful hymn that we find embedded in Philippians chapter 2, we read that as the Son of God, he completely humbled himself, and as a result, he's been completely exalted. He has, in fact, fulfilled the words of Psalm number 2, where it says, The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations... Your inheritance, heritage, and the ends of the earth, your possessions. That's why we call him Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Meekness. Meekness. A commodity, it would appear, that is short in short supply around our world. If there was a time for us to perceive well and to develop meekness, it's now. In this world of instant gratification, we need meekness. In this world of political cut and thrust, we need meekness. In this world of unbound and unabashed genders of immorality, we need meekness. In this world of stifling, stifling secularism, we need meekness. And in this world where evil is called good, and good is called evil, we need meekness. So how, the third question, being a good teacher, how do you develop confidence in God? How does it come? Is it possible to live a life marked with meekness? Is it just something that kind of occurs to you? Does it come automatically the day that you said yes to Jesus? Do you bypass Tony Robbins, uh, Dale Carnegie, Dr. Phil, and the day you accept Jesus, whammy, you have confidence in life. No fret, no sweat. I don't think so. I don't think so. So how do we develop that confidence? Well, we develop the way Moses did. 
We develop it the way Jesus did and how all the other fellow saints have done across the ages. The way King David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us to do it in this psalm. Of course, he never sets anything out in great detail. It's like being given chapter headings, if you like, okay? You have to kind of work out what all the detail is by reading the rest of Scripture, getting the app. It gives the chapter headings. If it were a full book, it would give eight chapter headings. Bear with me. The first one would be, don't implode. The next one would be, don't explode. Next one would be trust. The next, delight. The next, commit. The next, rest and wait. And eighthly, do good. So, I'll get through it as quickly as I can. I don't expect you to remember all eight. The first, don't implode. The first mark of meekness means don't implode. Three times we're commanded not to fret. This is not referring to the little worries that you have each day. No, no, no. The Hebrew word means to get heated, to burn up. Maybe you're prone to envy and covetousness, which are highlighted in this particular psalm. Or maybe you're plagued by a particular fear, by an insecurity, by contempt for someone. Internally, your world collapses. You let irritation become a distraction and even worse, an obsession. You get obsessed with stuff. As verse 8 expands on, such obsession becomes debilitating and destructive. So the key to not imploding through fret and envy is to get God's perspective, God's perspective on things. Number one, what are the prospects of the so-called prosperous wicked? The psalm reminds us, that their inventions of evil shall be rendered useless. Malice will outwit itself. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. David tells us they'll fade, they'll wither, they'll perish, they'll vanish, they'll be destroyed, they'll be cut off, their schemes will be broken. Get the perspective. It's an eternal perspective. But the other thing I love is, does God fret? No, he laughs. I love it. There it is. It's right there in the psalm. Does God fret? No, he doesn't. He laughs. I love that. Get God's perspective. As one man said, if God can laugh at the wicked, shouldn't we be able to at least refrain from being agitated by them? Yeah. Don't implode, but don't explode. Verse 8. I better refer to it. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves. It tends only to evil. While fretting and envy lead to implosion, a more common reaction, as we know, and we're faced with, when faced with injustices and trials, is we externalize. We get angry. The word here for anger actually means nostrils. You know when you get mad? 
you, you just watch somebody's nostrils when they, get, when they get mad. And the word for wrath means hot. It's like those cartoon characters, you know? They're getting mad, and what happens? Smoke arises from their head, you know? It's just like that. So these instructions are clear. The meek don't let anger control them. When we rage at others, in effect, what we're saying is, God, I don't like the way you are running things. It's not fair. I don't deserve this kind of treatment. But the Bible teaches that most, ang- most anger is sinful. But it also says that we can control it. Otherwise, it wouldn't command us to stop doing it. We need not take matters into our own hands. It's about perspective once again. The evil deal, evildoers get recompense. We're reminded of this in Romans chapter 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do all you can to live at peace with everyone. Take, don't take revenge. Leave it to God. And then we move into trust. Spurgeon says of verse 3, who's ever heard of Spurgeon? Oh, a few. Faith cures fretting. Love that. Faith cures fretting. Sight is cross-eyed, he says, and views things only as they seem, hence envy. Faith has clearer optics to behold things as they really are. Hence, peace. Faith is always the first counter to everything that would cause our lives to implode or explode. It's faith that gives us access to God. It's faith that pleases God. Trust in the Lord is not just some hollow slogan. The God to whom we trust, just think about it, gave Abraham a world-changing promise He parted the Red Seas for a whole nation. He helped a teenager kill a giant. He closed the lion's mouth for Daniel. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He fed thousands with a boy's lunch. And he miraculously changes our lives. That's the God in whom we trust. And then he moves on to delight. Number four. Delight, the next chapter heading is delight. What a wonderful word delight is. Don't you? Delight. The person you love, you delight in. The new baby, you delight in most of the time. The crazy dog, like Luke's and mine, you delight in. We don't know why, but we do. The meek are marked by delight. Though, for some Christians, you wouldn't know it. But to be captivated by the Lord and all He is and all He does. It's as though we're ascending some steps. Don't fret. Don't rage. But trust. And now have a holy desire for God. 
Of course, it takes time, it takes effort, but it's so worth it. And if you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires will come into line with his desires. It's kind of like Matthew uh, 6.33. We're all familiar with it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Those who delight in God desire ask for nothing but that which will please God. So, guess what? From God's perspective, it is safe to give them cop blanche. You see, when you're submitted to God's will, hey, he'll just give you. He knows he can trust you. Next, rest, number six, and waiting, number seven. The sixth and seventh teaching points of David are those of resting and waiting. As we trust and delight in the Lord, committing everything to him. Sorry, I've missed something along the line. Just trust me, it was about committing. I'll leave it. I'll move on. Committing. The sixth and seventh is moving on, committing everything to him. That's when we're able to really rest and wait. As the message translation puts verse, part of verse 3, we're to roam and rest in God's faithfulness. We rest and we wait because we know his promises are reliable. Psalm 37 is riddled with promises. Here are but a few. God helps us dwell and grow where we're planted. That's our theme for this year, is it? Bloom where you're planted. He grants our heart's desires. He defends us. He enables us to enjoy peace. He takes care of us every day. He gives us wisdom and counsel and discernment. He holds us by the hand. He delights in every detail of our lives. What amazing, amazing promises. It's not easy to rest and wait. You just have to ask my wife, Catherine. She knows what I'm really like after nearly 36 years. <laughs> Rest? What's that? <laughs> Patience? <laughs> but of course, everybody else, I understand, all of you know how to rest and how to wait. That's good. It's something I'm still learning. But again, I love what Spurgeon says. It needs faith to make a pause because unbelief is always in a hurry. Unbelief is always in a hurry. Christ said, by endurance you will gain your lives, Luke 21, 19. So, here's the next step. Rest and recover, wait and gain. Resting and waiting brings a special contentment. Verse 16 says, it's better to have a little than have the abundance of the wicked. Perspective and promise again lead to lasting prosperity. And lastly, do good. So what are they? Don't implode. Don't explode. Trust. Delight. Commit. That's the one I missed. Rest. Wait. And do good. Lastly, we're urged to match faith with action. 
For without faith, our works are useless, and in fact, worse than useless, they are dead. For a third time, Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon, he wrote a lot on the Psalms, true faith is active obedience. Doing good is the finest remedy for fretting. Doing good is the finest remedy for fretting. As verse 3 and 27 repeat, do good, dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness. Leave things in God's hands and get on with your normal daily routines. That's what it's saying. Just be obedient to God. Do what God's given you to do. Bloom where you are planted. David provides us with a specific way of doing this. You might have noticed as we were reading through. He says, one way of doing good that counters fretting and fuming and that builds trust, commitment, delight and contentment. Well, he noticed something, you see. Remember, he's an old man looking back and he had noticed something. He had noticed that the meek were marked by generosity. Verse 21 contrasts the wicked who don't pay back with the righteous who pay forward. You've seen that movie, Pay Forward? And in verse 26, he declares, generosity blesses the giver and releases them from covetousness and fretting. So in conclusion, as we navigate through this coming year, none of us know what it holds. None of us. We don't know. It will have delights and it will have challenges. But we can keep coming back to the Psalms, particularly one like Psalm 37, with its three vital questions. What is the source of your confidence? What does it look like? How do you develop it? Is your source going to be Apple, Amazon, or self-assertiveness? Or is it going to be surrender and humility and dependence upon God? And meekness, that temperament marked by those fruits of the Spirit, gentleness and self-control, power under control. Is that what you want for this year? And if, like me, you want to be meek, what does it take? Well, simply, we will seek not to implode with fret and envy at fleeting successes nor to explode, but keep our cool even when others have lost theirs. To trust God when others only trust themselves. To find delight in knowing, loving and serving our Saviour. To commit our ways and our days to Him, being God-reliant, not self-reliant. To rest in His promises, rest in His faithfulness and wait for the best, and keep doing good, even when others aren't. These are the marks of the meek. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Psalms. Thank you, Lord, that they are indeed 
a place of great wisdom, great encouragement and direction for our lives. Lord, as we venture into this new year and all that it will hold, we know that you hold this year. And we're so grateful that we can be God-reliant and not self-reliant. Lord, help us through these wonderful precepts, these wonderful insights. Lord, to have these unfold in our own lives over the course of this year. Lord, help us not to implode or explode, but rather to trust, to delight, to commit, to rest, to wait, and to continue to do good. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow Baptist Church.